welcome to episode one of Wellness World with Carly Lockman. This is a solo episode where I'm going to tackle the postpartum period. And I fully intend on covering topics related to postpartum, bringing in guests to speak about it many times in my podcasting journey. So my intention is not that this is a perfectly comprehensive episode, but instead I want to tell you just off the cuff, unscripted about my respective postpartum periods with my son and my daughter, and also what I have planned for my upcoming postpartum with baby number three. So I had my daughter Vivian in 2012. I was 25 years old. Um, I feel like, by the way, that I can't talk about the postpartum period without sort of setting the scene for you and talking a little bit about the birth and the pregnancy because birth and pregnancy inform postpartum so much. Uh, Anyway, so I was 25 years old and looking back, I feel that was absolutely too young for me. Um, I had only been married about a year when we conceived her and she was actually conceived the cycle directly after a miscarriage. I did not have a period in between, which in some ways was really fortunate because I didn't have a chance to get bogged down in the grief that I know a lot of women experience through miscarriage because we did conceive so quickly after that experience. Um, However, I will say that I also didn't do much processing of the miscarriage, um, to be like perfectly frank. I did it alone by myself in the bathtub with a glass of Jameson whiskey on the side of the bathtub for pain relief. And, um, I remember my husband, Chris sitting out in the living room and he could hear me because it was an intense experience. Um, and he kept wanting to come in and be there with me and I would not even let him sit with me. And I think that had to do with looking back. I think that I was really felt shameful about it. Like as if my body was failing us now, it's so interesting as a, you know, wellness practitioner who has focused, um, largely on women's health over the years, I realized that so many miscarriages are actually the body's uh, innate intelligence. And that, you know, of course it's so common. I mean, it's happening to one in four women, um, but it's just something that's not talked about very often. And, you know, it's unfortunate that I was not armed with that knowledge because I could have reframed the situation to see that as my body actually being quite smart and intelligent. Uh, And instead I saw it as a failing So, um, without even really processing that experience, you know, I went on into this new pregnancy and it was a really tough pregnancy. Uh, I was very sick up until about 20 weeks. And that was a really unique experience for me because at 25, um, and being someone that was pretty athletic, I had never experienced prolonged discomfort in my body. So that in and of itself um, just sort of set me off on this very ungrounded uh, or or I set off into this pregnancy from this very ungrounded place because it was such a disorienting experience for me to be in prolonged discomfort. Um, and then once I started feeling better, I was very much 
focused on, I don't know, I mean, to be totally honest, the material aspects of having a baby. Like I was very interested in getting the nursery set up and getting her clothes and all of those things. And, um, birth was not something that I really wanted to give a lot of attention to. I knew enough at the time, um, to, I knew enough. I had seen the business of being born. I knew that there were problems with the traditional Western medical model of birth. And so, um, I did get a midwife. I was working with a midwifery group in Chicago, um, as opposed to a traditional OB. And my intention was to have, uh, Vivian in a birth center setting. However, with this particular midwifery group, the birth center was actually attached to the hospital. Um, and for me, that was very comforting because I still had a, I, well, just period. I had a lot of fear around birth. I remember thinking like I couldn't even understand the mechanics of it. Like, how is that baby going to get through my pelvis? This makes no sense. Um, and so while my intention was to, you know, have this unmedicated birth center birth, because I knew that was going to be the healthiest thing for me and for my baby, because it was a even though I was uncomfortable, it was still a low risk pregnancy. And we know statistically that in a low risk situation, it's much safer um, to be operating a bit outside of the Western medical model, working with a midwife, um, you know, working without some of these drugs that, that tend to set off the quote unquote cascade of interventions, right? So um, I knew that, but I also had enough fear in me that I wanted, I wanted a backup and this situation was sort of giving me that backup. It was giving me that out. So the pregnancy continued on with, without complication really. Um, and I was happy to just be feeling better. Uh, and I did, I do recall working a little bit with some hypnobirthing literature and, um, and tracks like audio tracks and that kind of thing. But it just, I wasn't doing any kind of a deep dive. Uh, and when it came time to have Vivian, I went a week late. Um, and that was a little bit stressful. I remember feeling that stress about being up against the clock, knowing that I could only go to 42 weeks without being induced. And I did not want to be induced. Uh, because I had heard about how much more difficult contractions were to deal with when you have an induction medication like Pitocin. And so we did a lot of things to get things moving along for me. We stripped my membranes and which would probably be the most invasive thing I did to get labor going. I did lots of, um, specific kind of aggressive acupuncture, et cetera. And, um, finally went into labor just about a week late and my water broke very early on. And when my water broke, there was meconium in the water. And so those of you who have had children, um, know that if there is meconium present in the waters, when they break, typically, um, if you're going to be in a more traditional hospital setting, um, or you're working with more medicalized midwives, they're going to want you to come in immediately. So 
uh, we called the midwife and she wanted us to go to the hospital right away, which was actually a relief to me because I remember feeling like, how am I supposed to know when the right time is to leave? Um, I've, you know, never experienced this before. I had no clue, you know, uh, how intense the pain could get, or I just had no reference point that would tell me when to leave for the hospital. And we were, you know, quite a ways away. Uh, we went to the hospital in rush hour, which was totally my fear and it happened. And I remember it being just an absolutely horrific ride, got to the hospital and I found that I was, I don't know, some, I was at like a two or a three. I mean, I was hardly progressed considering the amount of discomfort that I was already in. Um, I mean, comparatively speaking, if I look at my son's birth, I was probably not in the amount of discomfort that I was in with that first labor until I was like seven, eight centimeters. So very different experiences, but I'm going to get to that. Anyway, um, immediately they told me that the birth center portion was of uh, the hospital was completely filled. There was some kind of a baby boom going on at that time. So they put me in a regular hospital room. So this was the first um, kind of point at which my quote unquote birth plan was really thwarted. And uh, that was just a really terrible experience. I mean, I can almost still experience uh, a little bit of PTSD from it if I think about it too long. I've worked through a lot of it. But um, the nurses that were coming in and out were not used to seeing a woman actually laboring. They were used to women coming into the hospital and getting medicated immediately and laying on their backs um, and not being vocal. So I had nurses that were making snide remarks about um, how vocal I was. And it was just really a, um, it was a scary environment to be laboring in. And so very predictably, because I was in this fear space, I ended up stalling out at about six centimeters and at this point, I was, I don't know, 32 hours or so into labor. Uh, and the midwife came in because this was another interesting thing in this kind of a setting, in this more medicalized midwife setting, midwifery setting, uh, the midwife was seeing all kinds of other patients in the hospital. So I, you know, she was not with me um, for the duration of my labor once I was admitted, which was very different than um, midwifery, the midwifery experience with a home birth, like I had with my son, where, you know, once we called her and she was over, I mean, that was it. She was with me for the duration. So that was something that was kind of shocking and surprising to me. And I remember feeling pretty attached to my midwife. She was this very kind of motherly figure. And, um, for those of you that don't know my background, my mom has really not been able to be a part of my life because, um, of severe alcoholism. So at that time I was still full of a lot of that baggage too, which that kind of thing, I mean, will just blow up in your face when you have your first child, if you haven't dealt with it properly. Uh, but anyway, so I felt very attached to my midwife and I expected her to be there with me through the duration. And she definitely was not, but she came in at this point and she told me that, you know, I had been stuck at six centimeters for so long. And, um, you know, if I would consent to 
a little bit of Pitocin and an epidural, the baby would be out in four hours. And I, even in that place, I was so, um, I mean, stubborn is kind of the word that's coming up, but I just didn't, I didn't want to give in, even though looking back, I didn't have it in me to finish out that labor in that setting. There was, I mean, obviously, eventually I would have gone through physiological birth, but um, left to my own devices. But in that setting, I was so fearful and I was so stuck that I actually needed to take that option at the time. Um, And I sort of waited until she kind of made the decision for me because I just didn't want to say it. Anyway, um, I, I said something like, well, what do you think is best? You know, I kind of just put it in her hands that way. So I didn't have to be the one that made that final call. So she was exactly right. I had the uh, bit of epidural and Pitocin and baby was born actually sooner than that. I think she was born within like three hours or so of that time. And um, it went, you know, smoothly. I remember uh, only pushing maybe a couple of times and she was out once it was time for her to come down. But I felt so disoriented by the time she came out. And I know that was partially from the very long labor. Um, I know even women that go through home birth, if they labor that long, they start to feel pretty ungrounded and pretty out of it by the end of it. So I know that was part of it. But I also strongly, strongly believe um, just intuitively, and also this has been supported by a lot of research I've done, that... um, my hormones were and my kind of hormonal exchange with baby was very much interrupted by the Pitocin and epidural epidural. I remember that they took her immediately to uh, do Apgar testing, even though I had been told that, um, and they did do this right next to me, but I had been told that the first thing that would happen is she would be put on my chest and that did not occur. Um, and then when they did put her on my chest, I just remember there being so much commotion in the room and I almost felt like I was coming out of anesthesia or something. Like I was just not present. I remember my doula trying to tell me how to breastfeed and I could not hear a word she was saying. Um, Vivian had severe lip tie, which went undiagnosed, unfortunately, but we were having a really hard time getting her latched. And, uh, yeah, I just felt totally suspended from reality. And then they took her again. And I honestly couldn't even tell you where they took her or what was happening. My husband was under strict instruction from me to be with her at all times. If they wanted to take her to perform a test or, you know, whatever it was that he would not leave her side because, you know, I was informed enough and had heard enough horror stories of things that had gone on. Uh, when a parent was not present that I knew that I wanted someone with her at all times, but um, he might know where they went at that moment, but I don't have any recollection of it. I just knew she was not with me probably for 25 minutes, which now knowing everything I know and looking back was just totally absurd. I mean, we were in what is considered that golden hour where there should be this cascade of mutual hormones between mom and baby. 
And there should be this imprinting and bonding that you literally cannot recreate outside of this hour happening. And it was totally interrupted. And it absolutely went against my wishes. It went against everything that I had talked to the midwife about previous to the birth. Our hospital stay was difficult, uh, to put it mildly. I continued to have severe breastfeeding problems because she had this terrible lip tie that nobody diagnosed. I actually diagnosed it myself a year later when I took my lactation counselor training and we got to the lip dye section and I thought, huh, this looks a lot like my daughter. And sure enough, I went home and was able to see that this was a very severe lip tie. And I actually had a quote unquote lactation consultant look at her in the hospital. And not only did they not diagnose this glaring lip tie, uh, but they put me on a pumping schedule that got me so engorged. I mean, it's an absolute wonder I did not get mastitis, but my boobs were hard as rocks. It was unbelievably painful. And then on top of that, of course, Vivian wasn't latching properly because of the lip tie and she had this terribly shallow latch. And so she was trying to latch on to these rock hard, painful boobs as it was. And it was just, I mean, it was horrendous. It was terrible. I would, I would cry before when I knew it was coming time to nurse her. Um, and the other consequence of her having this extreme tie that went undiagnosed is that she wasn't able to get enough volume. She wasn't able to consume enough milk per feeding. And so these feedings would drag on for so long. I mean, she would eat for 45, 50 minutes at a time and then, you know, need to eat again five minutes later. And some of that, of course, you know, um, there's what we call cluster feeding where babies will eat kind of back to back to back, but really a baby should not be um, on one breast for more than 20 minutes at a time. Now they may get off after 20 minutes having emptied that breast and be ready to get back on five minutes later if they're cluster feeding, but they should be able to um, empty a breast within 20 minutes, right? If there's nothing impeding that process, be that in mom's physiology or some kind of a tie or something like that. So um, yeah, feeding was just really difficult. And it didn't occur to me to hire a lactation uh, consultant because a lactation consultant had seen her in the hospital. So I thought I had already heard, I thought I already knew everything that a lactation consultant could tell me. Now, word to the wise moms out there, moms-to-be, uh, if your breastfeeding problem isn't solved with the first lactation professional you see, find another one and another one. Keep going because their skill sets are not necessarily created equal. So at the same time that Vivian was not getting the nourishment that she needed, which made her very colicky, um, I was also in no way receiving the nutrition and rest that is absolutely vitally important and required postpartum in order to have a healthy, happy experience and to protect your health going forward. Um, I <laughs> remember being so naive that I thought we did not need to make freezer meals. I thought, you know, well, I'm a pretty type A person. I kind of, you know, I, I have my shit together. So surely I will find time to cook. 
I mean, you know, if you're a parent, you're like laughing at that, right? Because that's such an absurd thing to think. But, you know, I was also 25 years old. um, So I had a lot of ego going on at that time, too. Um, And I thought, you know, I had yet to meet a task that I could not conquer. (laughs) And I thought having a baby was going to be no different. And obviously, I was in for a very rude awakening. Um, But I remember my husband and I, she was born around Christmas. And I remember on Christmas, my family came in because, you know, I felt it was too soon for us to travel to them. And uh, my family came in for a while, I think in the morning for a few hours, and we did gifts and things. I remember that being a very overwhelming experience. I mean, now I would never have, you know, (laughs) that many people in my house days after having a baby. Um, it's just too disorienting. And frankly, you're just not grounded and recovered enough in most cases to handle something like that without it really taking a toll. Anyway, so I have very vague memories of that. And, you know, also looking back, I thought, man, why didn't we ask them to bring us food? And uh, I don't know why, why we didn't accept that, you know, it just didn't occur to us, I guess. We were too sleep deprived to even think to ask. But I remember that night, it was so depressing. Chris and I were pulling like freezer burnt sweet potato fries from Trader Joe's out of our freezer. And then his his company every year for Christmas sends this honey baked ham. And so we had already had the honey baked ham. And so we're eating, you know, cold honey baked ham and freezer burnt Trader Joe's sweet potato fries. And I just remember feeling so unsupported, so vulnerable. Like I don't even have like food to eat. Like it was just bizarre. It was so crazy. And, you know, I realized how important those creature comforts are postpartum. Like it is so important that you feel nourished and taken care of. And part of that is having enough food, having adequate nutrition that will work to replenish Uh, the nutrient stores that you have lost throughout the pregnancy and the birth. Um, And when you don't have that, yeah, it can just feel very disorienting. And then, of course, physically, it's terrible for you. So, um, I mean, I I just remember physically, I just kind of kept feeling worse and worse for quite a while. And eventually, there was a a turning point. But um, looking back, I can see I was just already so depleted. And then, um, I mean, I tell women all the time how, you know, when you go through pregnancy, you are using vital nutrient stores that you have built up over your lifetime and, uh, into postpartum nursing, you're also relying on those. So it is so critical that you are actively replenishing those. And if we look at traditional cultures, Ayurveda, uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, if we go back far enough in Western culture, we will see these traditions. Latin America, there are specific foods that are indicated for postpartum women that would be made for them by the women in their family. And the tradition would dictate that these women would make food for the new mother and feed her, and they would take care of her other children. They would ensure that any domestic tasks were taken care of. So her only job was to recover, sleep, 
bond with and feed baby. And so, uh, I mean, if you look at the experience that most women in the Western world are having and that I had with Vivian, it literally could not be more counter to that. So instead of replenishing, I was actually becoming more and more depleted because I did not have the support system I needed and I did not have that vital nutrition. Physically, I had absolutely no concept that I was supposed to take, uh, take time to recover and heal. I remember the day I came home from the hospital, I thought it would be a good idea to take my German Shepherd Norwegian Elk Hound mix for a walk on the icy Chicago sidewalks in the snow. I mean, I came back from that walk and I could barely walk, right? Because my pelvic floor, my uterus was in no shape for that kind of strain. And I didn't even have tearing, thank God, or I can't imagine I would have popped a stitch. But um, I mean, looking back, that's just so absurd. But I didn't know. No one had given me that information. Even working with the midwifery group, we had talked a lot about a more holistic approach to pregnancy, but not one minute was given to proper postpartum recovery. And so really the only metric that I had was seeing celebrities do it, right? I mean, they were out, you know, with their friends and family and whatever days after having birth. So I thought that was normal. Um, I didn't have many friends that had had children at the time, although uh, even those that I did have didn't know about proper postpartum recovery either. And so I really can't fault myself at that time. I think it's gotten, it is steadily getting better. More and more awareness is being generated around how postpartum needs to be handled. Um, and just like as a baseline, a lot of times I will tell women, like, just think of it as having surgery. You know, if you had, uh, pelvic surgery, would you think that it would be appropriate to be up vacuuming your house two days later? Of course not. But somehow, and, and a doctor would absolutely tell you, you know, how long to rest and, you know, give you very clear indications of how to take care of your body. But that is not done for postpartum moms. And what tends to be the attitude is that the mom doesn't really matter because baby's there. And as long as baby's safe and healthy, that's really all that matters. And um, so the focus is completely on, you know, how are you going to take care of your baby properly when you get home versus how are you going to recover from this Herculean physical event that you just went through. And I mean, it's such an incredible shortcoming of our current medical system because obviously baby is only happy and healthy if mom is happy and healthy. Ultimately, what ended up happening to me as a result of such poor postpartum care is that I developed a chronic, very serious illness that ended up becoming debilitating. By the time my daughter was 17 months old, I was almost completely debilitated, could not work, could not care for her uh, in in any more than just the most basic ways. Um, we essentially ended up selling a house in order to pay my medical expenses. It was really 
an unbelievably harrowing experience that we didn't know if I was ever going to come out of. And I very quickly was able to trace it, trace the beginnings of it to my postpartum period. And, um, and I will talk more about that, the specifics of my illness and, um, how I dug myself out of it in another episode. Uh, but suffice to say, it took a lot of digging, like really digging into alternative methods of healing. And, um, one of the things I became really interested in was the Ayurvedic, which is a traditional Indian medicine, um, model for, uh, caring for postpartum women. And one of the things that is said in Ayurveda is that the first 40 days postpartum sets you up for your next 40 years of health. So fast forward a few years to the point where I had significantly dug myself out of my illness. Um, and I conceived my son Jude and everything about the entire process from pregnancy to birth to postpartum was radically different for me. And it was because of this foundational knowledge that I was going to be given the opportunity to kind of rewrite this trauma that I had experienced um, on a spiritual, emotional level, but also that I was potentially going to be able to propel myself into um, a kind of health that I would not otherwise experience, right? Knowing that those first 40 days postpartum were going to set me up for my next 40 years of health. And there was something so comforting to me about the idea of getting to rewrite that postpartum period so that my next 40 years were not necessarily going to be informed by Vivian's birth anymore, but by Jude's birth and this sort of second chance. Knowing that in and of itself was so empowering, but the other thing that I had on my side was um, what I call one of the gifts of my illness, which was this feeling that I had already been through hell. Um, I had overcome and experienced some of the most extreme physical hardships uh, of my life. And so comparatively, birth to me seemed really doable. And that was not a mindset that I had going into my first birth. I did have uh, a fair amount of fear around the physical process of birth um, the first time that just because of what I went through, being sick was not there at all the second time. So it was from that really internally assured kind of calm place that I was able to assemble a real dream team of practitioners to assist me in my birth. I found a midwife who had been in practice for over 40 years. She had an incredible reputation. And uh, personally, I have always gravitated towards senior practitioners when it comes to women's health care um, and having my babies um, because 
Well, I believe it is because of the fact that I had so little mothering myself that in those situations, I'm really looking for that sort of motherly influence. So she was really perfect. And I also found a doula who um, just did such a fantastic job of meeting me in the headspace I was at um, coming into this pregnancy after going through such a huge physical, emotional trauma. Um, and, you know, as I had mentioned, I was, I had done, I was doing so much kind of deep spiritual work alongside these physical therapies to heal myself. And she really understood that and could kind of meet me on that more spiritual level. And that was really, uh, vital for me to feel supported in, in doing this whole thing, the pregnancy and the birth in a very different way than I had done it before. The pregnancy itself was quite smooth. Uh, I was fortunate that I had a fraction of the nausea that I had with my daughter. It was much more manageable in that regard. And the things that were difficult about the physical experience of the pregnancy, like for example, I think it was between 20 and 22 weeks, my thyroid went low and that ended up triggering some symptoms of my illness. And, um, you know, that was, that was a really difficult thing to deal with my, because my barometer for what hardship and, you know, physical difficulty looked like had completely shifted. I was able to reframe that experience in a way that, you know, didn't totally send me down a rabbit hole. Uh, like I certainly would have gone down in Vivian's pregnancy had something similar happened. So I feel like I was coming into that experience of being pregnant with completely fresh eyes, um, with a completely different um, end goal. I mean, look, of course, we all have the end goal of a healthy baby, but for myself, I just knew how pivotal this was, this prenatal and then especially the birth and postpartum experience um, was going to be to my overall health. I really had that in the back of my mind at all times. So when, you know, the few things that cropped up, cropped up, um, it didn't take me too long to sort of recalibrate and reframe and remember the bigger picture and how important this rewriting this story was going to be uh, for my health and happiness and growth going forward. Throughout the pregnancy, I spent a lot of time visioning about what I really wanted my birth and postpartum experience to look like. And this is something that was a real 180 from my first pregnancy. My first pregnancy, you know, I, I spent the majority of my time shopping for cute clothes and I knew that the birth was important. And, you know, as I talked about kind of in the first half of this podcast, I thought I had set myself up, um, well enough, uh, but I really was not engaging in those daily, weekly introspective practices that would allow me to confront and move past um, or transcend rather 
any fears that I had around the birth process. So going into that birth, I still had a lot of fear that I didn't even necessarily realize um, that I had because I just hadn't dug in deep enough to do that work and and see what was there and waiting for me um, in my birth experience. So this time I took uh, that piece very seriously and I took shopping for baby and all of the kind of frivolous things a lot less seriously. Uh, Even preconception, when I started feeling the inkling that we were going to have more children or we were meant to have more children, I started even then visioning for not only what the pregnancy would look like, but also birth and postpartum. So this was several months prior to conception, which is something that I absolutely recommend to women um, if they know that they want to be mothers in the future. I don't really think it's ever too early to start visioning what you want that to look like for you and to start examining any fears, roadblocks, etc., that you may have around the process of birthing, postpartum, becoming a mother, etc. And the reality is if you don't spend that time examining those things, they are absolutely guaranteed going to hit you like a freight train at some point during the pregnancy, birth, postpartum experience. And usually um, it comes at birth and postpartum because that's such an intense transformation. It is an initiation into your own motherhood. So it stands to reason that any childhood wounds or hangups you have around your own, especially your own mother, um, but your your primary caregivers in general, uh, they're going to be unearthed. They're going to come up. And while I do think there are some childhood wounds that maybe it's just impossible for us to un- unearth beforehand and we're sort of meant to or need to process them um, via birth and postpartum. I think there is a lot we can do to address these things preemptively so that the impact is not catastrophic. So about a week prior to my due date, I went into what's called prodromal labor. And prodromal labor is sort of this middle phase that some women experience between Braxton Hicks and active labor. Um, It is not full-on labor. I guess it would probably be considered a form of early labor. Uh, But the way I experienced it is that it would come on every evening between the hours of roughly four and seven, and I would experience contractions just as if I was going into labor. Now, these weren't painful contractions. They were definitely very tolerable, but it was confusing to me because I'd never had prodromal labor uh, with my first experience. When I went into labor with Vivian, it was, you know, labor started and it did not stop until she arrived. So this was really different, just going through a few hours of contractions every night and then having them stop. But what I learned through research was that this prodromal labor was likely 
um, progressing me was likely dilating my cervix. And that's pretty amazing when you think about it to get some of that work done earlier on before the active labor labor phase. Because when I went into labor with Vivian, I was like not even, I was barely one centimeter. Whereas, um, and it was hard labor the whole way through, um, progressing me from that place of one centimeter. Whereas with Jude, with the second experience, because of the prodromal labor that I experienced for almost 10 days prior to actually going into full, full blown labor, I had progressed to a five uh, before even going into active labor. So what I realized was uh, this experience, even though it could be frustrating in that I never really knew if, you know, this was going to be the night or not, it was really the fruition um, or it was really my visioning coming to fruition because one of the things I had focused a lot on and I had visioned a lot um, about was that this labor would be a lot shorter than my first and that it would be very easeful and gentle. And this prodromal labor was a very easeful, gentle way for my body to progress uh, without me having to be in the throes of active labor. I was very close to 42 weeks when I finally went into active labor, and that was a little bit stressful because in the state of California, 42 weeks is the point at which you legally have to be induced. They start to worry about the placenta shutting down. Um, Not that that necessarily happens with frequency, but it's a concern that does arise after that 42-week mark, and the state of California has decided that the safest thing to do at that point is to induce the mother. So I did know that even though this prodromal labor was really helping me have this beautiful, gentle um, experience, I did know that we kind of had to get the show on the road uh, pretty soon towards the end of me experiencing this prodromal labor. So I guess I was about 10 days in. Uh, or I was going to have to be induced. So that was a stressful moment. What finally did kick me over from prodromal into active labor, and I share this because I know there are women that end up up against the clock like that, and they're looking for anything that they can do to avoid an induction. Um, What finally kicked me over was I had a membrane sweep, which is not something I would do if I weren't up against the clock, but in this case I was. So that was a better alternative than being induced. And then I hooked myself up to an electric breast pump. And I did that for about an hour. Uh, And actually I had done it the day before too. I had done it the day before for about an hour and it did really intensify contractions and the contractions that I was having with the prodromal labor. And, um, that's an important piece. I shouldn't, I should be clear about that. I hooked myself up to the breast pump during the hours when I was typically getting these contractions already so that the breast pump just really helped to amp up the contractions and to continue them. So I sat on the breast pump for about an hour, but even after I got off it, the contractions continued and they continued through the night, but they were very manageable. So I would consider this me being in my early labor phase. 
And just because we were so close to that 42 week mark, I did decide to have the membrane sweep the following day and then hooked myself up to the breast pump again. And that was what finally, that night, that was what finally pushed me over into active labor. And my active labor was really quite beautiful. Um, It was, you know, challenging, but in a way that I felt like I could handle. I felt very empowered by it. It was just the exact opposite experience that I had had with Vivian, where I was just in so much fear and the setting was scary to me. Uh, It was totally different. Here I was in the comfort of my own home. Um, I was, you know, drinking my bone broth. I had music on that I liked. And yeah, it was just such a supportive, comfortable environment. And I think my body and mind just really responded to that. And I was able to really work with the contractions as opposed to Um, sort of seizing up every time I had a contraction, which is what I was doing with my daughter. And ultimately, I actually vastly underestimated where I was at in my labor and how long the labor would be. I remember it being close to 5 p.m. and being on the phone with my doula, and she was saying that she thought this would be a good time for her to come. And I said, well, I don't want you to come during rush hour. You know, uh, I was here thinking we had this whole long night ahead of us because the only kind of labor I had experienced was such a long labor. And anyway, I was totally wrong about that. Uh, You know, she agreed to wait, but within an hour, uh, things were moving along so quickly that my husband called her back and said, hey, you know, I think you need to get here. And... All of my practitioners, my doula, my midwife, the midwife assistant, they all arrived with only about two hours to spare um, because I just, I kept thinking that I wasn't as far along as I was. So that was really incredible that I was, my body was doing this big work and I was progressing Um, really quite quickly without even necessarily feeling like that's what was happening because I had, I had really associated progression with extreme difficulty and extreme pain. And I wasn't experiencing that. Yes, it was challenging, but it was nothing I couldn't handle. When all my practitioners got there, they were all so respectful, just so quiet, just kind of you know, going about their business of, you know, setting up whatever equipment or materials they were going to need, um, but really taking care to respect uh, where I was at um, mentally, physically, et cetera. And um, that was just really wonderful. It, It was such, it was so vastly different than being in a hospital because in the hospital, the vibe was very much that I should kind of adapt to the hospital setting versus the uh, hospital setting adapting to me and my needs as the birthing mother. So, you know, midwifery care and, you know, good doula care, especially at home or in a birth or in a birth center really flips that paradigm on its head. And it's just really incredible to see what the body is capable of when it is not in a fear state, 
when um, it is just, and I should say the body and mind um, are capable of when they're not in fear and when they're being, you know, truly uh, lovingly supported. Anytime there was some kind of diagnostic measure that the midwife would want to take, like for example, getting the baby's heartbeat, she would ask me. Um, she was, it was just very clear that I was the one running the show and that these people were here to, um, support me in this experience. And I got to decide, you know, how it went down. And there was nothing that happened during that birth that I wasn't asked about first. And then I could decide, you know, yes or no, if I was comfortable with that. And in fact, I was never checked throughout my entire labor. Um, It's just not something that my midwife would do routinely uh, until really the very end. I was just about going in transition, you know, which is that phase where you freak out a little bit and you're like, holy shit, I don't think I can do this much longer. Um, And that's when I wanted her to check me. I asked her to do it. And so she did check me at that point and I was at a nine. uh, So we knew baby was just around the corner. Um, but that was something that I decided that I wanted done. It wasn't, um, it wasn't something that, you know, she felt was necessary or felt I had to do. And again, such a radically different experience than what was happening in the hospital where, you know, practitioners would just come in and basically say, okay, get on your back. We need to check you. And that's something I think the home birth slash birth center midwifery model of care really does a stellar job at maintaining the birthing mother's dignity. Because if you've ever heard a woman that's kind of had a more traditional stereotypical birth talk about her experience, you know, postpartum, she'll talk about how she, I mean, straight up say she has no dignity anymore. She doesn't have any modesty anymore. If she needs to go to the doctor, she doesn't, you know, um, bat an eye at having to uh, drop trow essentially in front of whomever, because after giving birth, that dignity was just stripped of her. Um, You know, (laughs) I remember nurses coming in and quote unquote, checking my bleeding when uh, I was in the hospital with Vivian and they didn't even ask me to literally pull open my underwear and, and look at how much I was bleeding. They didn't even ask. So talk about being totally just disrespected, stripped of your dignity as a woman, as a human, as an adult. Um, no wonder women leave those experiences feeling that way. But with this kind of midwifery, it's just the absolute opposite. I mean, I um, came out of that birth feeling very, just so respected and supported. And I felt uh, more dignified than I had ever felt, you know, like I felt so empowered and um, confident. And so much of that had to do not only with the Um, with my body kind of pulling off this really amazing feat, but also just how deeply reverent the practitioners around me were. So coming to the moment when Jude was actually born, 
uh, it was also a complete 180 with what I had experienced in the hospital with Vivian. I was very grounded, very alert, very present. And I also felt that rush of oxytocin that you hear about, immediate overwhelming feelings of love and bonding. And um, I knew from my own research how interruptive of the quote-unquote cascade of hormones between mother and baby Pitocin and epidurals could be. And I had a hunch that that had really impacted me in my first birth, but it was really confirmed um, in my second birth when I just had a totally different experience. And um, I felt just totally at peace uh, totally in love with my baby, just all of the things that on paper you're supposed to experience in birth. And I just want to point out that not every woman is going to have the adverse response to Pitocin and an epidural that I had where it was so interruptive of those hormones. That's not the story for every woman. I want to make that clear, but it does happen to a lot of women. So if that is an experience that you have had, it know that it may be possible to have a different experience without those uh, drugs, those medicines interrupting the natural cascade of hormones. That first night, I knew how important it was for me to take advantage of uh, my son's quote unquote, post-birth nap. And if you don't know what that is, that is the period of time following the birth, following the first feed, when the baby, the newborn will sleep for like a three to four hour stretch. And this is kind of their way of recovering from the birth process. And they won't sleep again for that long of a period for a really long time, probably a couple of weeks at least. So it's really important that mom takes advantage of that time to sleep and rest herself and really uh, just kind of jumpstart her postpartum healing. Fortunately, we established a really positive breastfeeding relationship right away, and that was something that I had visioned about. Uh, so that was another kind of testament to that time I had spent, you know, in meditation and prayer envisioning that we would have this positive feeding relationship that I didn't have the first time around and which caused such turmoil. So anyway, we had our successful first feed and then I gave him to my husband to do skin to skin so that they could get bonding time. I took a little bit of magnesium to help me sleep and to also help kind of soothe my musculoskeletal system after the birth process and I was able to get probably a solid three hours of sleep, uh, maybe three and a half, which was really incredible after birth and something I did not have with Vivian at all. Um, I was already in the throes of postpartum anxiety because of all the trauma I had experienced um, during her birth when she took her birth nap. Um, and I was also very, you know, I, I was anxious specifically about being in the hospital with her. I don't know. I was almost afraid someone was going to come in and do something to her that I had not signed off on. And I felt like I almost had to be the guardian and had to stay awake. And obviously in this situation, I was in the comfort of my own home and felt very safe and secure and felt that my baby was safe and secure. So I felt comfortable 
um, getting that rest that I so desperately needed. I will also note that my doula did a belly wrap for me right after the birth. Um, and if you're not familiar with belly wrapping, it is a traditional practice that is designed to help um, sort of to, to help the organs and bones move back into their um, rightful places more easily and more quickly. It's also designed to bring uh, warmth back to the body, which if you look at Eastern philosophy, they talk so much about the importance of mom and baby being warm enough in the postpartum period. And they see birth as this event where you are losing a lot of heat from the body. And the way we might translate that in Western terms is, you know, we lose a lot of blood volume, right? And uh, that blood volume can kind of be equated to heat. So anyway, I had this great belly wrap right away. And she also taught my husband how to do it so that he was able to do it for me going forward. I had a freezer full of postpartum specific meals, traditional healing postpartum meals um, that were made by myself, my husband, friends of ours, family, basically anyone who had asked me if they could do something for me uh, surrounding the birth, I asked if they would make me one of these freezer meals. And I primarily got recipes from a book called The First 40 Days, which is a tremendous resource for postpartum. And uh, essentially it's a sort of modern take on traditional Chinese medicine practices for postpartum. And the TCM approach to postpartum is very robust, just like Ayurveda. They are extremely reverent of the postpartum period because they know how much it will inform a woman's health going forward, and also how much that time really can imprint baby too and um, change baby's sort of health and emotional state um, during the course of its life as well. So I had enough of these freezer meals to last me through um, my first 40 days postpartum, which is the traditional period of healing postpartum. And we did not have extra meals for my family. These were just for me. So I have to tell you, I really wasn't concerned about what my husband and my daughter were going to eat during that period because I knew, you know, six weeks to them in their normal lives, not a big deal if they go off course a little bit with what they're eating. But for me, this was such a critical time. I needed optimal nutrition. So we made sure that I was going to be well-fed and, um, you know, my husband stocked up on, um, some like store-bought frozen meals for them. And, um, you know, they weren't amazing, but they weren't terrible and everybody survived. And most importantly, I was nourished and replenished nutritionally in the way that I needed to be to recover optimally. I also decided this time around that I was going to consume my placenta and quick disclaimer, I will tell you as someone that has also been trained to handle and encapsulate placentas that there currently is not good research on the efficacy of consuming placenta. There is, um, 
actually a Kickstarter that's been in the works for a while trying to fund more research, which I think is amazing. But right now we don't have uh, great research to point to. So I made this decision based on anecdotal evidence that I had heard from other women and my intuition. And that is how I recommend uh, other women make this decision as well. If it's something you're considering, I don't think any practitioner can fairly tell you that you are absolutely going to have a positive experience because it does, experiences do vary uh, significantly in some cases from woman to woman. And the reason I believe that to be true is because we are all bio-individual. And then to some extent, the hormonal composition of your placenta is going to be bio-individual. So how you and your placenta react um, together postpartum, uh, there's no one that can say definitively what that's going to look like. In my case, I was really fortunate uh, that I reacted very positively to it. It gave me increased focus and energy when I would... well. First of all, let me be clear. The way I decided to take it was not in capsule form. Um, I had mine cut up. Actually, my doula did that for me, which was really nice because at the time, even though I knew how to do that myself, and actually I had trained my husband to be able to do it too, it wasn't something we really wanted to do after birth. We wanted to just bond with our baby. So it was really lovely that she did that for us. So I actually used the raw pieces in smoothies and you for those that feel like that sounds super gross, you honestly couldn't even taste it. I had so much stuff in that smoothie, it was undetectable. <laughs> and the smoothie recipe I used was from an Ayurvedic doctor, and it had a lot of warming properties to it, even though it was a cooling drink, um, because postpartum we want to focus on bringing that warmth back into the body. We typically don't want to be consuming a lot of cold beverages, but if we are consuming a cold beverage, there are ways to... Um, sort of energetically warm that up with foods that have an energetically warming profile and warming herbs as well. Um, like cinnamon, for example, would be um, a warming herb that you could add to a smoothie. Anyway, so when I would drink my smoothie, I would feel like I had had a full night's sleep, even though I had been up with a newborn all night. So for me, it was an incredible experience. I feel like it was paramount to my healing. Again, my bio-individual experience. There's also no guarantee that that would happen for me in subsequent subsequent pregnancies. Of course, I'm going to try it and see. <laughs> um, but again, this is very bio-individual medicine. The other thing I want to note about um, placenta medicine and consuming it, something I advise my clients is to wait to consume their placenta until their milk comes in. It, this doesn't happen for every woman, but consuming placenta right after birth can actually delay lactogenesis, meaning your mature milk production. The reason that it can do this is because lactogenesis is cued by progesterone leaving uh, particular hormone receptor sites. And the progesterone leaves the hormone receptor sites when the placenta exits the body. So the placenta has a pretty heavy dose of progesterone in it. So when the thought process is when you turn around and very quickly consume the placenta after it's just exited your body, your body has maybe not had enough time to recognize that that, you know, progesterone has 
left the building, so to speak, and um, it can delay lactogenesis. It's kind of the same uh, reason that retained placenta uh, particles can cause low milk supply or delay lactogenesis. That's something um, as I I have a lactation counselor um, accreditation as well. And that's something that you're trained as a lactation counselor to look at. If a woman is experiencing true low milk supply, um, you want to find out if it's possible that she has retained pieces of the placenta, um, if it's possible the placenta did not totally exit the body. So um, I actually kind of performed an experiment on myself when I took my own placenta, and I did try taking it immediately after birth, and for me, it did delay lactogenesis. My milk was coming in um, by day three, but slowly, and baby did start to get a little bit fussy, and I knew pretty immediately that it was likely from consuming the placenta. So no big deal. All I did was pause taking my placenta for a full 24 hours. My milk came roaring in. And then after my milk was fully in, I resumed taking my placenta with no problems. So anyway, um, I definitely recommend that if you do decide to consume your placenta, you wait to start until your uh, mature milk is in and you just save yourself that possible anxiety. Some other things that I did in those first couple of weeks that were really important to my healing were having an, having an acupuncturist actually come into my home and deliver a couple of treatments or give me a couple of treatments rather targeted towards postpartum healing. Um, I also was real stingy about visitors at first. Um, even going so far as to, you know, for those folks that were kind enough to bring us meals postpartum, we actually had a cooler set up, um, at the time we lived in a condo. So it was kind of in the foyer of our condo and it had a little note just talking about how grateful we were that they, you know, wanted to support us with a postpartum meal and that we were still recovering and we weren't up to visitors yet, but, um, you know, we would, we would be soon and we would be looking forward to seeing them and spending time with them and introducing baby to them once, um, I was further along in my recovery. And that's something that my previous self who had not gone through the trauma of Vivian's birth and my subsequent illness would have never done. I would have been mortified to create that kind of a boundary with people that were trying to be helpful and supportive. Uh, but I knew how important it was that I, my energy was protected, that I wasn't, um, really expending much more energy than it took to just feed my baby. Um, and that's really what I focused on was feeding my baby, you know, bonding with him skin to skin eating my wonderful nutrient-dense meals that had been prepared in advance and also some of the things that people were kind enough to drop off and resting as much as humanly possible. Uh, this time I took the rest so seriously. I truly did nap when my baby napped. And even though it wasn't always what I wanted to do, it was so paramount to my healing. I mean, I feel like 
I was feeling so much more energized and um, restored at even three weeks postpartum than I was feeling at, you know, a year postpartum with my daughter. Um, with her, I just, it was almost like I just kind of continued to get depleted and continued to decline because I never allowed myself that period of rest because I didn't know it was necessary. It's not something that had been modeled for me, but this time I knew how important it was. I really prioritized it. I set up as much help, uh, with my five-year-old daughter, or I guess she was four at the time as I possibly could and really just tried to um, make those early weeks about maximizing my recovery in any way that I could. Something interesting that I noticed happening around the three-week postpartum mark um, was that when I was eating my postpartum meals, I started to feel very warm, like almost hot. And that was such a cool experience because I knew, I'm like, oh, wow, I have effectively brought the heat back in my body. You know, now I'm eating these meals and I'm almost feeling a little bit too heated up. And that's really exactly the point you want to get to where you have built your blood back uh, in a substantial way. You've brought that warmth and heat back into your body. You're feeling uh, that vital energy as opposed to that weak, colder, more depleted energy. And at that point, I knew I could start slowly incorporating uh, more of my traditional normal diet back in. And I did do that slowly. And uh, after that experience, I would say after my initial six-week, 40-day healing period, I felt so incredible both mentally and physically, so energized, so ready to take on this task of having two children. Um, I felt creatively charged, lots of new ideas. Um, actually, within uh, four or five months postpartum, I started an entirely new iteration of my business, and I felt like that was very much fueled by my robust postpartum recovery. Uh, and I also took a leap in my healing from my illness that was so substantial. I started to feel so much closer to normal uh, than I had in, you know, the previous, I guess it was three and a half, almost four years of my recovery. And it was just such a powerful moment to recognize that and recognize the role that such a deeply nourishing healing postpartum period had in, in creating that giant health leap for me. After having these just drastically different experiences between my first birth and my second and realizing the, you know, how truly integral the postpartum period is to a woman's overall health going forward. Uh, I honestly could not shut up about it. I still can't shut up about it. I feel like every woman needs to hear this message of how key that time is and how you really have the opportunity to take your health and your future health 
into your hands and mold and sculpt it by the way you observe your postpartum period. Okay, all that said, I am pregnant again. I am 25 weeks with baby number three. And I want to talk just briefly about what I have planned for my upcoming postpartum period. So the first thing is as much help as I can rally for um, handling my other children. I know how important it was to have my daughter uh, being taken care of by trusted people in those first couple of weeks um, after having my son and how much that just allowed us the time and space to get to know and bond with our new baby and also to get, um, especially for me, to get the rest and quiet and restoration that I needed. So that is probably the top thing that I'm prioritizing because that's what allows me to kind of put these other puzzle pieces into place. Okay. The other thing that I'm going to be doing that is, you know, huge is I will again be stocking my freezer with traditional postpartum recipes. Uh, I'll be using a lot of recipes from the first 40 days. I am in the process of trying to seek out, um, because the first 40 days recipes are largely, you know, TCM based and slash inspired. Um, I'm trying to see if I can seek out some traditional European postpartum recipes. That is, you know, that's where my lineage is. Uh, That has been pretty difficult because so much of that, you know, European folk lineage has um, just been eradicated. But uh, if anybody listening out there has um, recipes that have been used in their family and they're of European descent... Um, for healing postpartum. I would be so curious to hear about that. Um, So I'm exploring that, but I still will be using a lot of recipes from the first 40 days book. Um, Again, just focusing on um, heating foods, grounding foods, blood building foods. Uh, The first couple of days postpartum, you really need to be mindful of your digestion. It's just like after a major surgery or something like that, where the digestion is going to be a little bit compromised. So it's great to um, integrate things like uh, congee or kitchery. Um, These are TCM and Ayurvedic um, grain dishes, gluten-free grain dishes, respectively, um, that are just designed to be really soothing to the gut. And so I will probably uh, have some of those made with, um, and I will make them with bone broth and I'll be uh, eating those as well as drinking my weight in bone broth um, for the first couple of days. And I will continue to, um, that's something I didn't mention earlier that I did with Jude. I drank so much bone broth. I will continue to drink um, bone broth throughout the 40 day period in addition to eating my freezer meals. A good girlfriend of mine has offered to host a brunch in honor of baby number three, just celebrating his arrival into the world. And in lieu of any kind of gifts, if people feel compelled to bring something, she's asking that they bring a postpartum freezer meal. So I wanted to share that with you all because I have seen this trend of 
you know, postpartum showers or postpartum sprinkles um, cropping up. And I think it is amazing because being adequately prepared for the postpartum is so much more important than any piece of baby gear you will ever get at a shower. Uh, I am also going to be having a postpartum sealing performed about a week after birth. This is also called a closing of the bones. And this is something I did with Jude too, and I failed to mention it when I was talking about his postpartum experience. But it's a Latin American tradition, and um, I'm actually having it performed by someone um, indigenous to that tradition, which is really wonderful. And it essentially, well, here, let me, I'm just going to read the description uh, from from my practitioner's website. So it says, practiced immediately after birth and continued through 40 days postpartum, this care is believed to restore the mother quickly, enhance baby bonding, breast milk production, prevention of womb ailments, and prevention of arthritis in old age. So basically what happens during the closing of the bones is that the practitioner uses rebozos, which are essentially long scarves, to physically and energetically pull the pelvic bones back together. And this is another way um, to kind of encourage, again, your organs and bones kind of going back into their rightful position, but it's also a way to bring warmth back into the body and to kind of close the pelvic space from an energetic perspective, because there's so much opening that has to occur in birth that it can be really helpful. And the that area, your abdomen, your pelvis is such a space of vulnerability that it can be really helpful to take time to intentionally close that space again. So that's what this practice is about. My practitioner specifically, she includes um, an herbal bath, a gentle massage, and um, a vaginal steam um, in her package, which is amazing. And um, the vaginal steam, I don't know if you all are familiar with it, sounds a little weird, but it's actually a an ancient practice. It's also called, you may also hear it called the yoni steam um, that's so healing for the pelvic tissues, especially postpartum. Essentially, you're sitting over um, a box or you're sitting on a chair with a hole uh, in the middle, in the center, and um, herbs, specific herbs that would be healing to the pelvic area are steeped for mm, 20 to 30 minutes, depending on the specific herbs, and they're placed underneath a chair or Um, underneath the box and the woman sits on the chair on the box and the steam rises from the herbs and is able to kind of um, reach those vaginal and pelvic tissues and it can promote such deep healing um, especially for women that have a lot of tearing steaming can be so important to healing that tearing and even if you don't it's um a great way to help speed up any trauma to the tissues in that area. Um, it's a great way to kind of cleanse and rejuvenate uh, the pelvic space in general. So I'll have that um, vaginal steam with her, but then I will go on to continue to do my own 
um, really throughout the 40-day healing period. I will also, again, have some in-home acupuncture, focusing on grounding and blood building, uh, probably just one or two sessions, but I really think that's a lovely thing to be able to do if you can. Um, And yeah, other than that, it's just going to be as much rest as humanly possible, as much delicious skin-to-skin bonding time with baby. And for me, I know this is going to be my last pregnancy, my last birth. Um, So I am just taking it so seriously, um, you know, that this is my opportunity to, you know, again, once again, inform my health going forward for the rest of my life. So I'm really looking forward to this time and um, just going into it with a lot of reverence and intention. So to close out, I want to mention a few resources for you all, and there will be, uh, these will all be listed in the show notes. Um, I may expand upon it as well, but these are a few that I think are really important. One is the first 40 days book, which I've mentioned ad nauseum throughout this podcast. Um, I'm not going to even attempt the author's name because I'm going to butcher it, but you can find it on Amazon. Such a fantastic resource, especially if you are planning on making freezer meals specifically for postpartum healing. Then there's also this company called Mother Bees, which is by the women that wrote uh, the first 40 days, and they actually sell some of the meals outlined in the book pre-made, and you can order from their website, although I believe they currently only ship through Southern California, but you can check on that. Um, the other book that I think is good is Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth by Dr. Jolene Brighton. Um, I would also recommend uh, to any postpartum mother, um, an Ayurvedic or TCM practitioner that is skilled in guiding women through postpartum. Ideally, you would want to set up care prior to delivery uh, and I personally have benefited so much from, even with um, training as an herbalist myself in in Western herbalism, I've just found that the Eastern traditions, they've just really nailed postpartum. So I like to use um, Eastern herbs for the postpartum period specifically, and an Ayurvedic or TCM practitioner is um, really going to be able to formulate those best for you because they're extremely nuanced. And again, even as a Western herbalist, you know, Ayurvedic and TCM herbs are totally, for the most part, um, Greek to me because the formulations get very complex very quickly, but I have found them to be incredibly advantageous, especially in that postpartum period. So I always recommend that to people if they're able. Uh, Getting a postpartum doula can be really helpful. This is something that I actually haven't had. I think because I have put together all of these little a la carte services for myself instead, like the closing of the bones, the acupuncturist, that kind of thing. Um, But a more traditional route would be to have a postpartum doula. And especially I think for a first-time mom, it can be really reassuring and really helpful to have someone on call to guide you through that time. 
Um, a good friend of mine, Kate Markovitz, has written a guide called the Postpartum Grace Guide that's specifically geared towards addressing um, any emotions or emotional difficulties that might arise postpartum. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that to anyone that, especially if you are at all concerned um, about your mental, emotional state postpartum. And then finally, um, this is a recommendation for a little further along in your healing. So I would say um, when you feel like you are grounded and replenished enough to start incorporating your kind of normal uh, foods back into your diet, um, I really love Balanced Bites Meals. My friend and mentor and colleague, uh, Diane Sanfilippo, is the creator of these meals. They are incredibly nutrient dense. They're frozen, um, but you would never know it when you heat them up. They taste like you've just made them in your own kitchen. Um, and you can check them out. I believe it's balancebites.com, but I will clarify that in the show notes. And you can actually get $10 off your first order with code Carly. Okay. So those are just some resources that, um, I would recommend anyone look into. Again, I will kind of flesh that out in the show notes and, and write down anything that I have missed. Um, but I appreciate you all tuning in and um, kind of uh, going on this journey with me through exploring the importance of postpartum. Postpartum.